0: Thanks for joining us on Back On Air, the podcast for operators who have compliance on their mind and road transport at the heart of their business. This podcast is a recording of our live fortnightly webinar held every other Friday. So if you like what you hear and fancy joining the live event where you can ask questions and vote on our interactive polls, just register through the link in the show notes. The content of this podcast is correct at the time of broadcasting, but it isn't meant to be specific legal advice. If, however, you need advice, we recommend that you take proper legal advice for your individual situation. Finally, please do leave us a review, and of course details of any areas you would like us to cover in future episodes. We do read them, and it helps others find our podcast. Enjoy! Enjoy!
1: Good afternoon, everybody, or oh, good morning, as Jonathan would say. Uh happy Friday and welcome to our latest webinar. Um, slightly uh different for us today. I'm joined in the office by John Heaton, uh Gabrielle and Charlotte, but we've had enough of Jonathan, so we've sent him down to our London office. So that means if he does start annoying me like he sometimes does, I can literally just unmute him or kick him out. So Fabulous. Um, Jonathan, do you want to come on while I've given you the opportunity and I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll let you kickstart the webinar today?
2: Well, good morning, everybody, and hopefully uh, Chloe's on best behaviour. I'll certainly have to be by the sound of it. No jokes then. Um, yeah, we've got quite an interesting team today, actually, because we've got some real old knowledge and brains in John and a um, uh, perhaps to a degree, me. And then we've got some young guns up and coming, Uh, two of our uh, youngest actually qualified solicitors in the office, uh, Charlotte and Gabrielle, um, who are going to give us their knowledge and expertise and what they've gained. Of course, John, I've no doubt will put them right if they keep making mistakes. So what are we going to actually talk about today? Well, first of all, very briefly, Uh, We're going to touch on the revised sentencing guidelines. Many of you might be sitting there thinking, um, why do they matter? Well, they do, Um, and uh, we will touch on that. And then we'll come back to that uh, on another webinar in much more detail. John's only had the opportunity to have a briefing glance at it, and he wanted to give me the heads up on that. Uh, He won't be able to talk at length. Um, Remember, of course, you can always ask questions as we go. We're then going to talk about roadside checks, DVSA, both from an employer perspective, but also from the perspective of the uh, investigation and the employment rights. So John and Gabs will will be leading on that. And uh, uh, and that will be dealt with through a couple of scenarios. Um, And then we're going to move on to um, the driver's licensing and some unusual cases we've come up with, both on driver's licensing and also on mobile phone use, both of which have been uh, managed by uh, Charlotte. So we're going to have a discussion about the law, but also a couple of polls as well to help that, uh, to help that along and help you get involved. Remember to ask questions if you need to ask questions. Um, that gives Chloe more to do and say because she generally reads them out. So uh, without further ado, um, hopefully John's going to appear on screen and uh, uh, anybody else who wishes to appear now. Uh, and um, John, so hot off the press, we've got new sentencing guidelines. First of all, what are sentencing guidelines and why are they so important?
3: Well, sentencing guidelines are quite a quite detailed framework which uh, the criminal courts refer to. Um, traditionally, going back when I was first in practice, there was no such thing as sentencing guidelines, so you had to go and look at case law, uh, often case law from the Court of Appeal. Um, I'm often concerned with the more serious end of offences. Um, the, the importance of guidelines is it, it, it encourages some kind of consistency and predictability in sentencing, which is 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 a fair um it's an aspect of fairness but now with uh, motoring offenses um there are very prescriptive and uh, structured guidelines um something we've, i've come across recently in a case uh, which was which was a case of uh, causing serious injury by well the prosecution alleged dangerous but we were able to persuade the court it was not dangerous but only careless driving um These are fairly new offences. And what does that mean? Well, uh, dangerous and careless are are common concepts. Uh, Careless driving, which uh, falls below the standard to be expected of a competent and careful driving uh, and dangerous driving, which falls far below the standard and where it would be obvious to a competent driver that to uh, drive in that way would be dangerous. And Serious injury, what does that mean? Well, serious injury is uh, injury, the equivalent of the same as grievous bodily harm for the assault legislation, which is the 1861 um, Offences Against the Person Act. So certainly broken bones, serious internal injuries. Um, There have been draft guidelines for uh, these offences. Um, for a couple of years, but the draft guidelines then expressly said, but you're not to the courts must, mustn't pay any attention to them. But they're now in, as from the 1st of July, and um, they contain common concepts of um, categorising the offences by reference, firstly, to um, levels of culpability, uh, what the driving was, uh, and there are typical types of, uh, dangerous or careless driving by reference to uh, what happened and then the concept of harm and the broad categories are uh, a, cat, a cat one, category one harm, particularly grave or life-threatening injury, uh, physical or psychological harm, permanent irreversible injury or condition which has a substantial and long-term effect on the victim's ability to carry out normal day-to-day activities or to work. So that's the most serious category. And then category two is all other cases. So it might be serious injury, but something from which somebody makes a good recovery. And um, so there are three categories of culpability, two categories of harm. What's interesting um, for the offence of causing serious injury by dangerous is that even the least serious type of offence, the starting point is uh, 26 weeks custody. So um, what the guidelines are suggesting, although uh, you can go up and down the guidelines, um, is that probably if you're charged with serious injury by dangerous, um, a custodial sentence is likely and the only way of avoiding immediate custody might be to persuade the court that uh, a suspended sentence is a possibility you might get that because you have um, somebody who is otherwise, otherwise led a blameless uh, personal life, work life, most importantly, blameless and very long motoring record. And it's a true case of momentary inattention. And mm-hmm. the court might well um spare somebody immediate custody in those circumstances so they're very interested in that the reason that we're not going into it in huge detail today is we want to have a look at what the guy what the new guidelines are how they compare with what the previous guidelines were and and what the what conclusions we can draw from the changes that have been made see if we can discern any trends and then advise you as the industry as to where that leaves us Um, yeah
2: these offences are interesting, and and the uh, I don't like consequence-based offences, which are what the offences you were specifically talking about there are. They're offences that, but for a serious injury, would normally be dealt with in a less significantly less serious manner by the courts. Um, so it will be interesting to see. The narrative seems to be harder and harder sentences if, unfortunately, in the accident you're involved with, you end up um, seriously hurting someone um, compared with somebody who wasn't involved in an accident that hurt anybody but committed the same if you like failure as a driver but we can discuss that at some future event at length Um, so we but what we do know is that if you get prosecuted after the first of July then you're likely to be facing more serious outcomes than you would have done today and, and that's that's an interesting development. OK, I can see Chloe's mo- um, uh, itching to move on and I'm not even there. No, i can not, no, no, like. no.
1: I'm, um, I'm actually, someone's <laughs> just said, um, just talking about point, the point that John's made, that they always have this problem um, with the consideration of a competent driver. It is so subjective when complaints by the public take that into consideration and they may not be justified.
2: Yeah. Cunningham and Caldwell, recklessness and objectivity um, and subjectivity are really interesting legal topics that actually I really enjoyed, but I was probably one of the only ones on the law course that did enjoy that. Um, But you're right, the concepts of what is um, far below and what is below a reasonable, competent and careful driver are interesting. For example, a rear end shunt, if you're the car that's running to the back of the car in front, that's probably careless driving. You weren't leaving the distance and a competent and careful driver would have done. And yet that's very rarely, <coughs> excuse me, it's very rarely, if ever, prosecuted unless two things. One, you're in a large vehicle like a lorry or a bus where you're considered to be a professional driver. So reasonably competent and careful. The measure is really by by the prosecution, certainly um, uh, the reasonable, competent, and careful professional driver. And secondly, um, you'll get prosecuted if, unfortunately, there's maybe a frail or elderly person in the car that you run into and they suffer a serious injury. Um, So suddenly something which would normally be an exchange of details and maybe a civil claim for whiplash becomes um, a case where you can find yourself facing criminal prosecution and a custodial sentence purely because of the nature of the victim in the car in front.
3: Um, That's perfectly true, and um, it is something of a lottery. You won't find the legislation saying in terms that this mythical standard of good driving is any different for um, heavy goods vehicle or, or bus drivers, but in practice, the sentencing guidelines really say that um, a higher standard is expected for this reason but in terms of culpability um, the starting point um, are, are in terms of culpability is always expressed to be higher um, if you're a wagon driver or a bus or coach driver yeah so that's for the same thing really
2: it does it does really a
3: starting points and, and good um, advocacy making the good points to be made and it's always easier for somebody else to make it rather than you blowing your own trumpet saying i'm i'm a good person i have a good record Uh, i don't normally drive like this i drive fifty thousand miles a year and this is the first accident i've had in six years but it's easier for somebody else to say that make that point for you
2: Absolutely. Okay. Well, we're going to discuss that on some future webinar in quite a bit of detail. Um, we've now got some scenarios and the names, in fact, the spelling of the name as well appears to be very personal. Um, but some gentleman, not me, called Jonathan, who happens to spell spell his name in the same way by some coincidence, John, um, is employed by Speedy Deliveries Limited and drives an HGV. He's pulled over at a check site and his vehicle examined. The DVSA find that the vehicle has a bald tyre and a worn steering joint, which the DVSA accept the driver wouldn't have been aware of. As a result, that's the worn steering joint, not the bald tyre. As a result, the following is issued an immediate S marked Um, PG-9, so that's a significant failure of your compliance systems, maintenance compliance systems. Um, A graduated fixed penalty fine to the driver for um, £100 for each offence, that's two. Um, The licence will be endorsed with three points for the offence and the tower offence was considered to be a most serious infringement. Now, most serious infringement, if you don't know, is something that the Traffic Commissioner needs to consider whether it's an immediate revocation issue. Um, And uh, that's from the European legislation 1071-2009 if you're interested. Um, So, uh, as a starting point, John, do you just want to talk through some of these uh, points? Uh,
3: Well, I'll start with the very first point you made about Jonathan. Um, It it is, of course, just a coincidence. In fact, I think in the first draft of this, it was uh, somebody put in, it's just a name, but anyway, there we are. Um, So, what have we got here? What can be said about um, these defects that were found at the roadside? Well, um, what might have gone wrong, which results in the vehicle being used on the road in that condition? Uh, um, What ought to have prevented it? Well, the first thing, aside from the general maintenance of the vehicle in the background, the first thing is the driver walk around check, isn't it, in the morning, the first used check, and uh, a bald tyre tyres don't become bald in the course of a single day's journey, so that tyre almost certainly must have been in that condition when the driver did his walk-around check. So uh, he either didn't do the check or he didn't do it properly. Uh, The worn steering joint, in this scenario, the, the vehicle examiner said to the driver, well, I've found this, I accept that you wouldn't have, you weren't aware of the steering, you know, clunks or anything like that. Oh, no, gov. No, I wasn't aware. Um, so that's a, a reasonable examiner. Um, of course, they're both immediate prohibitions. The vehicle's not going anywhere until those defects have been remedied. Uh, the tyre being changed, that's easy enough. Steering joint, It's probably a recovery job, isn't it? The the ministry will be commonly saying we're we're shutting up at four o'clock. If you want the vehicle not to be uh, here overnight, you better get it recovered. Um, So a fixed penalty for the driver. Um, A fixed penalty is, of course, a misnomer. The the DVSA and the police can't impose a fixed penalty. What it is, is an offer. And it's inviting the driver to avoid problem, uh, prosecution through the courts by accepting a, probably a fairly nominal fine uh, for each offence. But he's, he's got time to think about that. Um, both these offences are endorsable. They both carry three points. But because the offences um, are committed on the same occasion, uh, the driver only gets... Uh, one lot of three points and if it was a variable points offense he'd just get the the number of points which was uh, the greater number of points so it was five and three say um, he'd get five uh, but but not eight um, tire offense uh Certain offences are this category most serious infringements and that has regulatory implications because, as as Jonathan says, it comes from the European uh, legislation and um, mechanical uh, defects. So uh, tyres, steering, brakes, suspension, chassis problems, which are regarded as productive of an immediate risk to safety. So, if it's a a bad version of the offence, it'll be classified as an MSI. Um, Other perhaps surprising things are uh, MSIs. So, defective tachograph, use of a vehicle without an MOT, no driving license or driver card, um, a bad (coughs) hours offence, more than 50% over, uh, and a bad overload offence, 20% plus for a 12-ton or above 25% for a smaller vehicle. All of those are MSIs. And broadly, the traffic commissioner is told by the European legislation, there's a presumption that you'll look at repute and look at the operator licence unless it will be disproportionate (coughs) to take action like that for this offence alone. And, of course, very often it it will be disproportionate disproportionate the traffic commissioner would accept that but it's a sort of reverse burden Uh, you've got to persuade him not to take action Um, uh, and there's a presumption on the face of it that that, uh, action would be taken so um, there's quite a lot going on arising out of this Um, uh, and the vehicle comes back to base the driver comes back to base with his uh, fixed penalty in hand and has to go and see director, transport manager, somebody in authority and uh, there'll be a debrief. So how do you see that Gabrielle?
4: So looking at this from an an employer's perspective, the first starting point is obviously the investigation. Um, John's obviously mentioned the fact that why this hasn't been picked up previously. Is this a maintenance issue? Is this individual the only driver of that vehicle? Um, Have a look at the First use check. Is it pick, why isn't it being picked up? Um, and obviously go go from there. Is this an isolated offence? Is this something that this individual has been picked up on previously, um, or do they have a clean record? This offence is a most serious infringement, and John's gone through the regulatory side of that, and we need to take a view of what that actual higher offences so is it so serious that if he'd have driven two more miles there's a risk of a blowout and potential risk to public safety do we think that this constitutes something that is so serious that this individual should have taken action or could we say it's it's on the borderline there isn't that much in it, the individual has previously had a very clean record, very good driver, usually picking up um, defects and reporting them in the correct manner, or do they have a long list of issues, they've been called in on multiple occasions or they've been called in on, on one occasion for a serious issue. Um, and we'd go from there. So the interview stage, he's come back, he's got the fixed penalty, the director or the transport manager is going to have an investigation with, with them, um, and they're going to go from that to decide whether or not there is something for them to be called up to a, a disciplinary hearing. If there is, we'd need three separate managers of equal or ascending seniority uh, the further through the process we go this is the investigating officer the disciplining officer and then the person of the most seniority they're sorry the highest seniority is kept out of the loop for whether there's going to be an appeal um so the more further we go into the um the disciplinary side of things, the higher and the more serious it becomes, obviously. Um, so once the individuals had the investigation at that stage, um, we'd invite them to a disciplinary hearing, give them the right of appear uh, give them the right of accompaniment, make sure that they understand what offence they are being well, what allegation they are being called in for. So if it's a misconduct offence, that needs to be clearly set out and if it's a gross misconduct offence that also needs to be clearly set out. They should be given at least five days from the date of um, invitation to the date of the disciplinary hearing If they can't attend for a good reason, or their representative can't attend, they should be allowed to rearrange it. If they are continuing to push it back, you need to take a view of the reasons why that is becoming an issue. Once we've got them at disciplinary, the disciplining officer would listen to their side of the story, why they've not picked it up, and consider whether there are any issues read the previous record or whether this is a re- reoccurring issue ex- something along those lines to make sure that um, the individual is obviously aware of the seriousness of these um, of these failures they then adjourn the meeting and decide what well consider what outcome there is going to be if this individual is a long-standing um, person who's had a clean record and um, they've previously been very good at reporting at reporting defects, then the, indiv- the discipline officer is going to take a view of that individual's previous clean record and the fact that this is potentially something that is on the borderline and take a view of it from there. If it is a clean record and this is a very serious defect that should have been picked up and we can relatively say with 100% knowledge that there is a huge failure failure here, then potential gross misconduct can come from that, which obviously would result in dismissal. And so realistically it is just going to depend on the facts and depend on what kind of uh, failure there has been. But if there is, a clean record minimal um, risk that this is going to continue or minimal risk to public safety then we'd need to take a view of whether it would just be a warning if it wasn't a most serious infringement um, then it would be my view that this would be a warning the individual should be provided further training so if another incident of a minor breach or a minor failure came up the employer is able to say well on the 16th of June you came back with a fixed penalty notice for the same offense we provided you further training and you were given a written warning we are now going to further this and investigate the reasons why you are continuing to fail to follow the investor's foot but, but follow the um, follow the correct procedures that you've been correctly trained on and as a professional driver should be following um but that is round about what we should be doing in an employment perspective obviously it's very fact specific and if anyone needed any specific advice on specific positions then we are available to discuss it but talk about
2: throwing in some caveats there but um yeah i mean one, one thing that's very interesting in cases like this, and John touched on it earlier, is, of course, it's unlikely that only one driver um, will be responsible for the failure to report a bald tire it's likely in many businesses that more than one driver sometimes the engineering department as well sometimes an independent or even an internal tire fitter who does maybe weekly or monthly checks has also failed so you can find yourself in this type of investigation with four or five people um, who may have effectively similarly failed to the driver on the day What are you going to do in that scenario? Because they've all probably committed a similar level of failure. Um, Can you get them all in and sort of punish them all uh, en masse? Or do you have to deal with them all individually? And furthermore, do you want to take the risk of suddenly losing four or five employees? Um, uh, So there's a real dilemma there, isn't there? I don't know whether you've got any view on that, Gabs.
4: Well, it would be a maintenance investigation, wouldn't it? Because if that individual, if the multiple individuals are all failing, the re- that, you need to ask the question: Why? Yeah. Why is why is that an issue? Have they not been properly trained? Is there something further deeper down that we need to investigate and find out? There are issues there. If there's five drivers who all who all should have picked it up, then it becomes the the, cap- the capability side of it are they even correctly and um, correctly positioned to be a professional driver if they are going to miss such serious issues on the first on the first check or the first walk around check in the morning in the evening mm-hmm.
2: In the end, it could come down to the transport manager and the and the role of the transport manager and whether the transport manager themselves are in fact carrying out their responsibilities properly to have allowed this progressive failure. Um, so one thing that I think would be very useful to investigate in a case like this is previous and other vehicle PMI inspections to see yeah. whether there was. A propensity of driver type defect items to be found by the maintenance provider or your maintenance department hinting at really a fundamental failure in the management of the driver defect reporting protocols and that is a very common criticism at a public inquiry in fact probably 60 to 70 percent of PIs have a criticism that there are items in the maintenance records that drivers should have reported but clearly haven't so that's a very common scenario
3: and tire defects um,
2: the operation
3: of very modern vehicles does not mean that an operator can be immune from finding himself with bald tires i can think of two cases one sadly a fatal accident which was not attributable to the fact that the tires were like racing slicks um but it fell between many stools. The vehicle was maintained to the hilt, but because the responsibility for maintaining the tyres was farmed out, contracted out to somebody else, and it slipped through the net, um, you have this very modern light vehicle involved in a fatal accident with racing slicks. And, yeah. um, and, and I can think of another case also involving a light van um, where the tyres were appalling. And yet the vehicle was only a couple of years old something like that um gabriel as, as you were speaking there was something else that occurred to me presumably it would be a mitigating feature if the drivers walk around check for that day in fact had various defects noted so he clearly done the check but for some reason perhaps been distraction or something had not looked properly at the tires that would be a mitigating feature, wouldn't it, generally, showing that he'd he, he done the check in other respects?
4: Generally, it would be, but realistically, he's missed an essential part. Oh, it's, very, of, it's a
3: very important element of the DDR, certainly.
4: So, although that could be taken into account, I would still suggest that if he's been distracted, why hasn't he gone back to look at the tyres? Yes, um especially where it's a most serious infringement, should they have even been looking at that in that view or could could it's a, a fundamental failure to properly carry out and I'd suggest that it would be a very
3: serious yes and I th- and as we can see, it sounds banal and simple but um, something that's not uncommon, which is a bald tyre, has wide ramifications because particularly if it's not a vehicle that's just driven by one uh, driver, it opens the, the Pandora's box that multiple drivers have also not been doing walk-around checks and somebody managing or supervising them also. Um, and it begs the question about the, the regime for um, tyre Fitness generally in the the operation. I um, I
0: sorry. I, sorry, I think as well from a transport manager's point of view, um, at the time of a public inquiry with with an issue like this, race doing spot checks on your drive. It's making sure that you're going out there and our spot checking your drivers are correctly doing the walk round inspections, um, and I think that's quite important so bolt tyre doesn't happen just overnight it's, it's no. obviously been on there for quite some time so it's important that if anything like this arises that a business and a transport manager is able to support that they are spot checking the drivers before they leave with dummy defects or you know just ad hoc picking random drivers out but yeah. our advice would be that every driver should be spot checked at least every quarter to make sure that this doesn't happen and it's important that those kind of things are also taken into to consideration we've,
3: we've looked a lot about the tire um, I wonder what we can say about this the steering joint clearly that would be a question for uh, when you look at the documentary record you look at the when was the last PMI you'd uh, you look to see if this is um, a, a repeat failure is there a pattern of failures for of this joint on this model um, from an engineering point of view you perhaps question if you could is this something that has just happened by going over a bad bump or is it a failure that's likely to have happened over time and therefore should it have been picked up and it's questions for the maintenance staff and the and the uh, the foreman fitter really
2: yeah i think with the with regard to the worn steering joints and i've seen X S uh, s not x s marked prohibitions for worn steering joints and i think um, and for other worn um, long wear parts. And I think the question here is, and often when you investigate these matters, what you see is um, somebody maybe three, four, five months ago reporting it on a PMI sheet as, a, as wear but serviceable. And then maybe this, the next sheet also has wear but serviceable. And then it disappears as an observed item and then it's found by the DVS at the side of the road. And that, of course, is a classic scenario of um, both the maintenance provider and the transport manager when reviewing the maintenance records, not observing that um, a monitor-type defect has disappeared and yeah. uh, and yet there's no explanation and, and that's not uncommon in these types of scenarios and the s marking could be issued for that component yeah. you know it, it's not just the tire that might attract the s mark the s mark might also be attracted for the worn steering joint if it's so worn that it was clearly obvious and the last pmi that it was going to be uh untenable for for the next six weeks let's say whatever your inspection interval is should we move to um scenario two
1: yeah can i Um, just try and cut in jonathan and and so someone's just asked why would the driver get fined for the steering joint if they can't be aware of it so we've obviously said in the scenario which dvsa accepts a driver would not be aware of it but absolute
2: offenses Whereas Talk about it, absolute offences.
3: In, in their discretion, the DVSA, uh, the officer might well take the view that it was not deserving of issuing a penalty, because for this reason, the driver is morally blameless, isn't he? And there's there's case law about that, where cases get prosecuted, where we regularly try and persuade the police or the DVSA. Not to prosecute, to withdraw a prosecution if one is brought, and that, that, so that's a very well made point. And if the vehicle examiner is sufficiently uh, switched on and fair-minded to come to the conclusion at the roadside that the driver can't be faulted, uh, he might also say, and for that reason, I'm not going to issue a ticket. So, uh, and one would hope that perhaps a ticket wouldn't be issued, but I've seen them issued, and in those circumstances, you'd try and you try and persuade the dbsa to withdraw the ticket but if they won't and the driver gets prosecuted you do then have another go at trying to persuade them uh that it's a case called Hart and Bex if you're interested but we regularly use it that is not a case which in the public interest where prosecution is necessary because if the driver is forced to plead guilty as he might be if they won't drop it you'd be waving a copy of Hartenbeck's in front of the court saying this is a case where the driver is morally blameless, not deserving of prosecution. And um, what's more, he shouldn't get penalty points, should he? Because he has um, uh, the defence of lack of knowledge. If he can show he didn't know or couldn't reasonably have been aware of the offence, he should, the court must not award 70 points. If the and owner yes. should accept that, they might say, okay, we won't prosecute that. Um,
2: there
3: is.
1: A- um, so, um, someone's um, point, if the tyre also has a cut to the cords, will the driver have a further three points and a fixed penalty?
3: No, if the if tyre um, is unroadworthy, it's unroadworthy, even if it's unroadworthy in multiple respects.
1: And then just, on the,
2: just on the first question, Chloe, the, 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 I think the important thing for the person who asked that question to understand is, unfortunately, um, you don't have a defence just because you say you didn't know. It's an absolute offence. So the fact that there was a defect on the vehicle is enough for them to be able to prosecute. Um, it's not fair and, and it's not considered fair actually, I think by many people, but it's it's summary justice. So the fact that the driver didn't know and had no reason to know doesn't of itself provide him with a defense against actual prosecution. What's interesting though, and what John's basically saying is that um, you would try and persuade them uh, not to prosecute on the basis he didn't know and secondly um, uh, uh, as John's just said Hartenbeck says well even if you do prosecute there shouldn't be a penalty because what could he have done about it so uh, but but yeah so they're quite harder uh, are um, absolute offenses to to justify from a moral point of view in my in my opinion but there you go but
3: the DVSA have a prosecution policy which does acknowledge that if the driver is blameless probably enforcement action shouldn't be taken against him uh, and we generally remind them of that and they're often accepting of it and if they accept that the driver wouldn't have known in the in this case the steering joint example
2: um, it's the so attitude of at the roadside that matters as well by the driver <laughs>
1: someone's thought what um well, if an operator's tyre policy is to change at three millimetres and then the TM signs off a PMI sheet at three millimetres, should there be, like, monitoring the change in it or is that a TM failure?
2: TM this failure, I would say. You should see that that um, is at the borderline tyre needs changing. Um, sure. And that would be a classic thing that w- the DVSA would actually observe, low tread depths uh, not being dealt with by the TM.
0: Can we better I- move?
1: Yeah, I've just got one more thing on this because this is, this is a good one, so not a good one, sorry for whoever it is, but a vehicle of ours has recently had a prohibition for a very small tire defect that the examiner himself said it must have just happened and would be very hard to see and on his paperwork documented driver and um, operator not culpable, but this has still affected our OCRS score. This is something we can challenge.
2: Well, they should have X-marked it. And John was just talking about X-marking before the uh, uh, before this webinar. Um, uh, and there were, and
3: yes. There, there are three. Uh, and Jonathan and I, if you go and look at things, occasionally you learn something you'd forgotten if you ever knew it. Uh, there are three classifications uh, of uh, prohibition. There's S-marking, which we're all familiar with, which is a significant failure in roadworthiness compliance. Now, it used to say a significant failure in maintenance systems i think so the language has changed but it must mean the same thing there is then x marking which is in, in dvsa speak is no reflection on the maintenance system and that for this purpose the driver on the walk around check is part of the maintenance system and then there's a uh, blank where the dvsa hedge their bets and say uh well that defect may or may not reflect on the quality of the medicine systems, um, if you've ever seen a blank one. It's very unfair, isn't it, that the OCRS score should be adversely affected if it's X mark, and I think very strong representations should be made to the DBSA to say this is ridiculous. Please adjust, manipulate whatever you want, say the OCRS score, so we're not penalised.
1: Right, let's move on. There's lots of comments on
2: scenario one, but we do need to move on. So, Jonathan. OK, so we're going to do this fairly quickly because we've still got quite a lot to get through. So I I'm, want I'm a fairly brief response, chaps and chapesses. <laughs> uh, James is also uh, employed by James, by the way, another coincidental name. Uh, but yes, John um, is also employed by Speedy Deliveries Limited um driving hgv he's pulled over for a a roadside check by the dvsa where they downloaded the vehicle unit uh, data and his card the download reveals substantial unrecorded mileage for his journey the previous day and the driver is informed he'll be called for interview shortly Uh, when james arrives back at base late he reports uh, what has happened now um (laughs) Uh, basically, here we, we're going to. I'm just going to jump to the core point here. We're going to get false record allegations here. This is going to be a false record allegation. Um, now, for, from a, I'm going to just, I was going to get Gabs to just immediately answer. I'm going to come to you in a moment, Gabs. The first thing to realize here is that you need now to do a review of all your missing mileage internally. Um, Irrespective of this driver's activity, it's quite common if one driver's uh, committing missing offences, particularly significant ones, as appears to have happened here, then multiple drivers are doing it. So it, the first thing you need to do is download all your vehicle unit data uh, and your driver cards and check across the board to see if you've got an endemic issue, because that is what the DVSA are going to do when they come. But what else should you be doing here, Gabs, with regard to James?
4: So as soon as he gets back, late or not, he needs to be called into an investigation meeting. The very serious allegations and most falsification matters will constitute gross misconduct offences, which is obviously punishable by dismissal. We need to understand what he says or she says are the reasons for why they pulled the card. So... There are a couple of issues that we need to consider so do they say i pulled my card because my daughter or my son is disabled and there's been an incident at home and i needed to get home asap there are issues there because if we did take action against them for pulling that card there's a absolute possibility that they could argue that it's discrimination by perception, however our justification for that discrimination will be based on the fact that there is a a gross misconduct offence potentially um, punishable by prosecution against them which is going to obviously have an impact on our operators license. So first things first we have them in for an investigation meeting, discuss what they say caused them to pull the card, they potentially might raise concerns over their workload Do we need to investigate this further? Is it a genuine concern? Have they been having issues with their workload? Have they been telling their employer about these issues? We could consider it as mitigation at the disciplinary hearing. However, the general approach would be they've committed that offence, so it has been their decision to not inform us not call us and say I'm going to be late I'm I'm having a break I've I've got to my 4 hours and I will be staying here until I've had my correct break they've made the decision to pull the card however there are other regulatory impacts to that which John will discuss in a moment so like we discussed earlier in scenario one we'd need to go through that proper and fair disciplinary procedure and um, the other thing that we would need to consider is whether we are putting drivers in a position where they're going to breach so this is why bonuses should not be based on the workload or the miles that an individual does in a day because there's more chance that they they're going to drive faster they're they're going to have infringements they're going to be pulling the card if they think oh well if I just do this extra 20 minutes I'll get 400 pounds extra because I've done this this amount of time or this amount of miles so we would need to consider it from that point of view but again we would need the three managers going further into the disciplinary hearing that um, that further we go Um, and once it gets to disciplinary falsification um, investigations have started we've understood the position with any concerns that the individuals raised to us um, and we go from there so usually this would be gross misconduct dismissal we'd need to justify any issues whether they've brought the um, the allegation that they pulled the card because of say a health um a health problem with a disabled partner disabled child etc but as long as the company can reasonably justify the fact that they made this decision based on the fact that they pulled the card there's no con- real concern there there are there are obviously risks but as long as the employer can reasonably satisfied themselves, that they have followed the correct procedure, that they've got the correct evidence against the individual and then if it came to a tribunal there's obviously um, a lot a a better chance to easily defend any claim. Whether it minimises the risk that is what you are looking for and but In a roundabout way, that is the disciplinary. Obviously, if they appeal it, then you'd have to take a view of what their written appeal says. Um, But realistically, most falsification matters will result in a gross misconduct allegation. The employer needs to reasonably satisfy itself that there are reasonable investigations that have been carried out. If those investigations do raise concerns, then it's going to have to take a view of what what action to take. But the mitigation point is always kind of weighing up uh, weighing up the options.
1: I've got some think. things here, actually. Right. Um, so just two comments and then two questions, then we can move on from the asking stuff. But. Someone just put, our policy is that all of our drivers are told to record absolutely everything Correct. and then if you do go over time, we will, we will deal with that as a separate thing. And um, Someone just put, investigation urgently and a zero tolerance policy for driving without their card. And then Correct. a question, maybe one for uh, Reg to answer, um, what do you mean by substantial? How many miles would you consider as substantial?
2: I think when it comes to false records, um, any mileage is substantial. Um, if they haven't got a card in, Um, and actually those two comments that came before are bang on. So essentially, um, uh, you've no excuse for pulling your card. If you have to get back because you have a disabled child, you may have an Article 12 defence, you may have a rationale for defending a prosecution should it be brought for the breach of the driver's hours, however, the one thing you can't do is pull your card. That's a deliberate attempt to hide the breach of the driver's hours. So um, irrespective of the, um, if you like, the justification behind the motivation, um, it's not acceptable to pull your card. Just leave your card in and record the offense. A simple piece of advice. And if you don't, you're going to lose your job. Simple as that
1: very last question for me and I'll start on this but if a driver committed a missing mileage offence and is an agency driver supplied by an outside hire company who is who's got who's the onus on to discipline them
2: well the agency you just don't take them on anymore you just tell the agency they'll no longer be used by you and you shouldn't provide them um, it's the agency to sort it but you need to document that you've communicated the offence to the agency and effectively barred the driver from working for you. I know I'm pushing ahead a bit here, but I'm acutely aware we've still got Charlotte.
0: Jonathan. Um, Jonathan and I do a number of compliance reviews and one thing that we do see is that drivers don't have driver-specific contracts so when it comes to your driver contracts it's important that the gross misconduct offences and all the other um, disciplinary actions should be made driver-specific so pulling your cards, not recording manual entry and all the other items should be Listed within the driver contracts, it should be different to all the other contracts that the business have, and it's surprising how (coughs) many people don't have that in place.
2: That's that's a really good point, Charlotte.
3: I think I I would just say that the reason we're talking so immediately about gross misconduct is um, the way that the Department of Transport and the Traffic Commissioners regard falsification. Parliament has said from the potential penalties, it's the most serious driver's hours and tacker offence in the calendar. You can be sent to prison for falsifying. Uh, I know there are multiple examples, and particularly if there's been an incident probably caused because the driver was tired, an accident, and certainly if there's um, injuries or fatalities, always, always an aggravating feature. If he was out of hours and if he's trying to cover it up the cover-up is always worse than the original sin how do the traffic commissioners consider it from the driver point of view um the starting point and it it is very fact sensitive but the starting point is the traffic commissioners say they will consider suspending the uh heavy goods vehicle entitlement uh on the driving license um for up to six offenses of falsifying so uh, four weeks per offence so potentially six months off the road for up to six but more than that it will be revoke the heavy goods vehicle entitlements and disqualification uh it's a starting point only and there are cases where drivers bad cases of falsification are fewer than that where i'm sure there have been revocations but parliament the action to be taken both in the criminal courts and by the traffic commissioner is top-end, very, very serious, um, uh, both for employment and in a bad case for liberty and that's why an employer who finds a driver's been falsifying is bound to treat it on the face of it as very, very serious gross misconduct.
2: Okay, thanks, John. We're we're going to move on to the next slide. Um, I'm Appreciate that we are getting tight on time. Um, So we've had a couple of recent cases, I say we, Charlotte's had a couple of recent cases which have been uh, of particular uh, interest, I would say. The first one was involving driver's licensing, which hopefully we're going to get
0: a... How many, how many people listening today check that the transport manager is correctly checking driving
1: licences? So hopefully that's just popped up on your screen now. Just um, yes or no. I'm really not going to give you long at all. Um, So we're running out.
2: (laughs) So while you're answering that question, um, perhaps Charlotte, without giving any details of the client or the operator. Perhaps you want to just talk through the circumstances of the particular case.
0: The, the next poll that was going to come up was would you consider checking the transport manager is checking the licenses them, if themselves held a vocational license, if the transport manager held a license as well? Um so it, it's really an overall question on trust on how much you need to double check your, your transport managers there was a recent case where it turned out that the transport manager himself had lost his relevant vocational license however he was still driving for the business on an ad hoc basis and um, as and when um, required by the business sometimes instructed by um, a relevant person in the business sometimes arranging to do it himself and at the hearing, there was a direct criticism of the operator that they should have checked the checker. Um, and the question that's raised out of that is where does that start? Do you just check driving licenses? Do you check the auditing um, of PMI sheets? You know, how, how long do you, do you continue this process? I don't know whether John um, or Jonathan, you have a view on this of effectively having to audit your auditor.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was a very um, specific set of circumstances. And what was, interested in the, what was interesting in the circumstances is it was a relatively small business. Uh, and, the, uh, and of course, the transport manager himself, whose responsibility was to check the vocational entitlements um, and was doing that job. But of course, he was ignoring his own entitlement, which he'd lost. Uh, and was continuing to drive for actually more than one operator. He was an external transport manager. And what's interesting in this is that it's clear that effectively the director of the business should have checked the information that the transport manager was himself obliged to check. And it's. The interesting thing is, how far does that go? I I noticed that the vast majority of you in both cases do actually check that the transport manager is doing that role. Now, that's really interesting because in all the companies I've reviewed over the last and charlotte as well in the last three years or so i don't think i've ever come across a single director who's cross-checking the driver's license checks that are being carried out by the transport manager but clearly everybody on this call or 84 percent of you are which is i think is interesting have you got any comments on that
3: and, and those who are not i bet they're small operators where they feel they know their transport manager really well, and they never dream of not doing the job properly. Um, it's hard, but you, you, you have to take a, a, a dispassionate view and uh, carry out checks even on people who you feel you can trust.
2: For many of you, uh, you will have actually electronic systems, and so um, you, you'll be able to check with those. Now, we'll get on to the last topic, uh, which is, um, uh, the um <clears throat> excuse me the mobile phone offense topic now this is quite interesting but there's again a couple of questions i think here so uh, far away
0: yeah okay so um looking at the mobile phone offense um, so if you um are using maps on your mobile phone and it's resting on the dash or another area in the vehicle so it's not in a cradle secure is that lawful is yeah, this an just FM?
2: Yeah, say what you think. Say what you think. We've we've got this. We've had a case exactly like this, um, albeit it wasn't prosecuted. But it still doesn't. Um, but it's one we've investigated and discovered. I'll
1: just share
2: it now. know that everyone voted, but so we've got 76% saying that it's um, it, it's not lawful, <coughs> and 24% think it is lawful. Um, John.
3: Um, potentially is not lawful for this reason that um, it's like having a missile on the dashboard isn't it if you break suddenly and the phone dashes off falls on the floor around your feet uh, it's going to stop you using the pedals properly you're going to be tempted to reach for it you're going to be shocked by the fact that this heavy object has suddenly flown out it's potentially a, a an offense under one of those subsections of Section 41D of the RTA, which is um, not driving in a motor vehicle in a position which doesn't give proper control. It's, a, it's the double negative in the driving a vehicle where you're not in proper control because you've got something flying about the cab.
2: Yeah, I think the the other interesting thing, Charlotte, about a mobile phone offence is when it's committed. So if you've got it in your hand, but you're not using it, what's the position there?
0: No, it's not committed. So holding a mobile phone, you're not committing an offence. In the legislation, it's using the mobile phone. That is the offence. And um, So if it's in your hand and you're using it, you've committed that offence. If um, you're using it on a cradle, you're using the mobile phone, you're committing the offence. But if you're purely just holding the mobile phone... That doesn't meet the requirements in the legislation. Now, what's quite interesting to note is that a number of people receive a, um, a fixed penalty notice six points and a fine because they were caught holding the mobile phone and they accept it because they don't understand the specific legislation. And then, as a result of being um, a vocational license holder, as a result of that offence you then go to a, a driver conduct hearing and then at the driver conduct hearing they then start to raise the arguments of well I was only holding it or not using it you know I picked it up off the floor after it drops from it being in an unsecure um, position in the vehicle and the traffic commissioners do take a different view on that and um, even that because you've admitted to the original offence That is then taken into consideration and having a device unsecuring the vehicle or even holding the mobile phone. The traffic commissioners do see from a professional driving standard, you shouldn't be committing such an offence in terms of being a professional driver and that will result in a suspension of your licence for a period of time.
1: Charlotte, someone's just asked, um, if we see a driver on our own in-cab cameras, should we report them to the traffic commissioner?
2: You don't have an obligation to report uh, a driver who hasn't been caught and issued with a penalty. So even a driver who's sent, for example, on a speed awareness course, you don't have an obligation to report. You only have an obligation to report where they've actually been issued a fixed penalty um, and accepted it. And therefore, uh, they are um, saying that they admit the offence.
0: That point, however, goes back to a point I raised earlier about driver-specific contracts. Um, do you want to have a driver using a mobile phone? Your driver-specific contracts could incorporate, it's a gross misconduct offence, to use your mobile phone in any way whilst in driving the vehicle, whether that's on a dash or the touching or it's only in cab. Make your contracts driver-specific, make that as part of your business, and then when see that internally then can be um, a dismissal or you can go down the correct employment action for it.
2: Yeah. Now, thank you very much everybody for listening and sticking with it. Thank you, Gabrielle. Thank you, Charlotte. And thank you, John. We've got a 25% discount on our training um, that runs out by uh, the, it's only in June, courses run in June. So that runs out on the 30th of June. We've got three courses that affects. We've got a two day TM refresher. So that's a significant discount. We've got um, a maintenance related one, which also deals with the new changes to the guide to maintaining roadworthiness um, on my birthday, actually, on the 22nd of June. Um, but it's not me delivering those. I'm doing a compliance review, I believe. Uh, and also on my birthday, there's a brake test course running. So if you're interested in any of those, course is 25% discount go for it it's worth it it's a bargain it's a so small hint Jonathan
0: wants birthday cards delivered by the 22nd of <laughs> June
2: <laughs> yeah yeah uh, yeah I'm 28 actually um on the 22nd of June uh, because I share my birthday with my brother as I have to do everything as a twin uh, obviously we have to share the years as well so it's 28 um on the uh 22nd of June so you'll all be pleased for me there all right. Well, thank you very much for listening. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Chloe, for managing it in the background um, and uh, not switching me off. Although I did see she <laughs> muted me at one point in the middle of the process. Uh, and um, I look forward to seeing you all in a fortnight.